Second part of chapter 12 of the first volume of The Life of Reason. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Fredrik Karlsson. The Life of Reason by George Santayana. Sidenote. Origin in Essential. The given constitution of reason, with whatever a dialectical philosophy might elicit from it, obviously determines nothing about the causes that may have brought reason to its present pass or the phases that may have preceded its appearance certain notions about physics might no doubt suggest themselves to the moralist who never can be the whole man he might suspect for instance that the transitive intent of intellect and will pointed to their vital basis Transcendence and operation might seem appropriate only to a being with a history and with an organism subject to external influences, whose mind should thus come to represent not merely its momentary state but also its constitutive past and its eventual fortunes. Such suggestions, however, would be extraneous to dialectical self-knowledge. They would be tentative only, and human nature would be freely admitted to be as variable, as relative, and as transitory as the natural history of the universe might make it. Sidenote. Ideals functional. The error, however, would be profound, and the contradiction hopeless, if we should deny the ideal authority of human nature because we have discovered its origin and conditions. Nature and evolution, let us say, have brought life to the present form, but this life lives, these organs have determinate functions, and human nature here and now, in relation to the ideal energies it unfolds, is a fundamental essence, a collection of activities with determinate limits, relations and ideals. The integration and determinateness of these faculties is the condition for any synthetic operation of reason. As the structure of the steam engine has varied greatly since its first invention and its attributions have increased, so the structure of human nature has undoubtedly varied since man first appeared upon the earth. But as in each steam engine at each moment there must be a limit of mobility, a unity of function, and a clear determination of parts and tensions, so in human nature, as found at any time in any man, there is a definite scope by virtue of which alone he can have a reliable memory, a recognizable character, a faculty of connected thought and speech, a social utility and a moral ideal. On man's given structure, on his activity hovering about fixed objects, depends the possibility of conceiving or testing any truth or making any progress in happiness. Side note they are transferable to similar beings. Thinkers of different experience and organizations have pro tanto different logics and different moral laws. 
there are limits to communication even among beings of the same race and the faculties and ideals of one intelligence are not transferable without change to any other if this historic diversity in minds were complete so that each lived in its own moral world a science of each of these moral worlds would still be possible provided some inner fixity or constancy existed in its meanings in every human thought together with an immortal intent there is a mortal and irrecoverable perception something in it perishes instantly the part that can be materially preserved being proportionate to the stability or fertility of the organ that produced it if the function is imitable the object it terminates in will reappear and two or more moments having the same ideal will utter comparable messages and may perhaps be unanimous unanimity in thought involves identity of functions and similarity in organs these conditions mark off the sphere of rational communication and society where they fail altogether there is no mutual intelligence no conversation no moral solidarity side note authority internal the inner authority of reason however is no more destroyed because it has limits in physical expression or because irrational things exist than the grammar of a given language is invalidated because other languages do not share it or because some people break its rules and others are dumb altogether innumerable madmen make no difference to the laws of thought which borrow their authority from the inward intent and cogency of each rational mind reason like beauty is its own excuse for being it is useful indeed for living well when to give reason satisfaction is made the measure of good the true philosopher who is not one chiefly by profession must be prepared to tread the winepress alone he may indeed flourish like the bay tree in a grateful environment but more often he will rather resemble a reed shaken by the wind whether starved or fed by the accidents of fortune he must find his essential life in his own ideal in spiritual life heteronomy is suicide that universal soul sometimes spoken of which is to harmonize and correct individual demands if it were a will and an intelligence in act would itself be an individual like the others while if it possessed no will and no intelligence such as individuals may have it would be a physical force or law a dynamic system without moral authority and with a merely potential or represented existence for to be actual and self-existent is to be individual the living mind cannot surrender its rights to any physical power or subordinate itself to any figment of its own art without falling 
into manifest idolatry. Side note. Reason autonomous. Human nature, in the sense in which it is the transcendental foundation of all science and morals, is a functional unity in each man. It is no general or abstract essence, the average of all men's characters, nor even the complex of qualities common to all men. It is the entelechy of the living individual, be he typical or singular. That his type should be odd or common is merely a physical accident. If he can know himself by expressing the entelechy of his own nature in the form of a consistent ideal, he is a rational creature after his own kind, even if, like the angels of St. Thomas, he be the only individual of his species. What the majority of human animals may tend to, or what the past or future variations of a race may be, has nothing to do with determining the ideal of human nature in a living man, or in an ideal society of men bound together by spiritual kinship. Otherwise, Plato could not have reasoned well about the Republic without adjusting himself to the politics of Buddha or Rousseau, and we should not be able to determine our own morality without making concessions to the cannibals or giving a vote to the ants. Within the field of an anthropology that tests humanity by the skull's shape, there might be room for any number of independent moralities, and although, as we shall see, there is actually a similar foundation in all human and even in all animal natures which supports a rudimentary morality common to all, yet a perfect morality is not really common to any two men nor to any faces of the same man's life. Side note its distribution. The distribution of reason, though a subject irrelevant to pure logic or morals, is one naturally interesting to a rational man, for he is concerned to know how far beings exist with a congenial structure and an ideal akin to his own. That circumstance will largely influence his happiness if, being a man, he is a gregarious and sympathetic animal. His moral idealism itself will crave support from others, if not to give it direction, at least to give it warmth and courage. The best part of wealth is to have worthy heirs, and mind can be transmitted only to a kindred mind. Hostile natures cannot be brought together by mutual invective nor harmonized by the brute destruction and disappearance of either party. But when one or both parties have actually disappeared, and the combat has ceased for lack of competence, nature, not hostile to one another, can fill the vacant place. In proportion to their inbred unanimity, these will cultivate a similar ideal and rejoice together in its embodiment. Side note natural selection of minds. This has happened to some extent in the whole world, 
on account of the natural conditions which limit the forms of life possible in one region for nature is intolerant in her laxity and punishes too great originality and heresy with death such moral integration has occurred very markedly in every good race and society whose members by adapting themselves to the same external forces have created and discovered their common soul spiritual unity is a natural product there are those who see a great mystery in the presence of eternal values and impersonal ideals in a moving and animal world and think to solve that dualism as they call it by denying that nature can have spiritual functions or spirit a natural cause but nothing can be simpler if we make as we should existence the test of possibility ab esse ad posse valet illatio nature is a perfect garden of ideals and passion is the perpetual and fertile soil for poetry myth and speculation nor is this origin merely imputed to ideals by a late and cynical observer it is manifest in the ideals themselves by their subject matter and intent for what are ideals about what do they idealize except natural existence and natural passions that would be a miserable and superfluous ideal indeed that was nobody's ideal of nothing the pertinence of ideals binds them to nature and it is only the worst and flimsiest ideals the ideals of a sick soul that elude nature's limit and belie her potentialities ideals are forerunners or heralds of nature's successes not always followed indeed by their fulfilment for nature is but nature and has to feel her way but they are an earnest at least of an achieved organization and incipient accomplishment that tends to maintain and root itself in the world to speak of nature's successes is of course to impute success retroactively but the expression may be allowed when we consider that the same functional equilibrium which is looked back upon as a good by the soul it serves first creates individual being and with it creates the possibility of preference and the whole moral world and it is more than a metaphor to call that achievement a success which has made a sense of success possible and actual that nature cannot intend or previously esteem those formations which are the conditions of value or intention existing at all is a truth too obvious to demand repetition but when those formations arise they determine estimation and fix the direction of preference so that the evolution which produced them when looked back upon from the vantage ground thus gained cannot help seeming to have been directed toward the good now distinguished and partly attained for this reason creation is regarded as a work of love and the power that brought order out of chaos is called intelligence
End of chapter 12, part 2